0: Hello and welcome to the British Empire podcast. I'm your host Chris Nichols and together with my co-host JD Collins, we celebrate the weird and wonderful world of Whitbury Newtown Leisure Centre, the sports centre ran by nightmare boss Gordon Brittus, who means well but brings chaos into the lives of his staff, customers and long-suffering wife Helen. Each episode looks at an episode, so we dissect and discuss. The best way to enjoy the podcast is to watch the episode we're discussing first, and that way you'll have an excellent time. In this episode, we're discussing Series 1, Episode 4, Underwater Wedding. Hello, all you wonderful British fans. We're back once again with Episode 4 of the first series. And with me, as always, is my co-host, John, a.k.a. J.D. Collins, a.k.a. the host of the 2.4 Children podcast. Don't slam your podcast. How are you, John, today?
1: Very well, thank you, Chris. I I can't believe we're over halfway through the first series already. It's uh, it's going by quickly, uh, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and I feel we've... uh, more amazing thing comments to make about this other uh, this uh, this new episode I, yeah. I don't know it's it's really interesting comparing um British with Monday comedies as well I think yeah. it's just I, I already in these first three episodes we reviewed that and, and certainly with this one we'll, we'll be discussing today that the ambition in the series is is very much there in the beginning And they didn't, they certainly don't cut costs with back then. And it's nice to see a sitcom that really uh, put a lot of effort and money into the, the, the production values.
0: I think so. I think right from the get go with British Empire, it's a show that has got, like you say, ambition. You know, the plots are huge. There's always something happening. It's never boring at the British Empire, is it? It's not one of these comedies which is, you can't call it low key, can you?
1: No, not at all. I think, if anything, it's really well plotted. And, and I already, from what I've read as well, the writers, the original writers, Andrew Norris and, and Richard Fagan w- w- would work on a, one script. It would take a month to write one script and plot it out. And you can see it. There's real yeah. detail and and craft going into it. So I'm I'm just enjoying it. I'm having that ball. And I hope everyone who, who's listening is is enjoying going on the journey with us.
0: Yes, yeah. We hope you all are enjoying the the podcast so far. So don't forget to leave us a a five star or a glowing review as well, because that helps us bump up the the algorithm algorithm and stuff. So uh, yeah, if you if you if you can, that's always a nicer uh, nice thing to do. But we'll, uh, we'll we'll get into this episode. So underwater wedding. This is the episode we'll be chatting to about today, which is the fourth episode of the first series, um, and. Depending on when you're listening to this episode, it is currently on the Drama Channel when we're filming this, so it's been repeated on Drama, and I've got an actual synopsis from the Drama Channel itself as well. So they describe it as a British sitcom in which surreal and dramatic events occur at a leisure centre, run by the well-meaning but incompetent Gordon Brittus, played by Chris Barry. So I quite like that synopsis. I think, I think sometimes... Because me and John really want to celebrate the show, and I think sometimes the show is misunderstood and people misunderstand it for something that it's not. They perhaps think it's more of a cartoon when it's actually got a lot of depth and it's much funnier and more clever than people think, or at least remember. So it is quite nice to see a synopsis which is quite, I say, fair to the show in that sense. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, I've noticed
1: more recently with it being on drama that they're they're really, firstly... um, hyping it up as in it's an it's a real event that they've, they've put it back on because obviously it was on forces tv yeah which is now no longer uh, a chant no longer around and i one thing i said i think i sent this to you um chris which was uh from the radio times when it was start- at the beginning of this re- current rerun of on drama he said um well i think the, the 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 picture i got was was a bit um cropped out but the the basics of what i said was think basil faulty Sailboy Trotter or David Brent, all characters who constantly saw their dreams shattered. But also on that list, although largely forgotten about, is Gordon British, Chris Barry, the manager of Whitbury Newtown Leisure Centre, whose cami- camicus levels of enthusiasm always resulted in disaster. This These weekday repeats offered the chance to revisit both the farcical exploits and the flash of the macabre in the mayhem. And I, I think that is uh, a writer who's watched the show and it goes back to what we were saying even when we were recording this before we even knew drama was going to repeat it that he, he is a character who is on the same level and and of those british monstrous characters
0: yeah it's great to hear like an actual fair sort of description of the show and something like that which kind of gives a kind of a fair review of it and captures what it is actually about because i think too often and i think 2.4 children was a bit of a victim of this people or critics might think it's something that it's not they might think oh it's just a family sitcom or it's just a a silly leisure center manager, but actually these sitcoms, there's a lot more depth and there's a lot more darkness and surreal and you know, there's so much more to these sitcoms than, than some people might think. And I think it's nice to see somebody who's taken the time to actually watch the show properly, actually reviewed it properly. Cause I think sometimes critics and you know, you know I mean, people like critics can sometimes misinterpret a show by not really watching enough episodes or just kind of making an, an assumption without actually watching it properly. Absolutely, and I think the
1: thing about Monday writers—I mean, you think this this shows thirty years old. Majority of the writers now who who would write those kind of reviews and and descriptions are more than likely have grown up watching Britus when it was yeah. first on yeah. and will have enjoyed it as a, as a young person, probably with their family. And the thing as well, I, 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 do do, same with 2.4. I like to, to look over the reviews of the old comedy reviews when they were first on and the general yeah. feeling I get about the eighties and the nineties is that it was almost taken for granted how much comedy there was to the point yeah. where I think they almost felt, they got a little bit, um, what's the word? Complacent with this idea that well, there's just comedy on here. That one's a bit rubbish. That one's, you know, if there was so much option and and so many big hits that we still discuss now, as we discussed in the first uh, week of how many great shows there were in the early 90s, that in a way, I think perhaps we appreciate that era more now, having gone through 20 years of well, ebbs and flows in in the comedy uh, output and and the quality and and, and mainstream output, that actually we look back and say, actually, those shows were very good definitely really yeah. well made ahead of their time
0: yeah you're right i mean because i think you know 80s and 90s they took it for granted like you say you know there were so many sitcoms out at that point and um, but now it's a bit like a sitcom graveyard you know you look at the 8 30 p.m slot on bbc one and you don't see comedies like the british empire or up appearances or 2.4 children, you know, you just don't see these big, well-written, well-acted sitcoms in prime-time slots anymore. And I mean, granted, there's some great sitcoms that have come out in the past decade. You know, that you know, there's all kinds of great shows that that I like in this century. You know, Peep Show, Extras, The Office, they're all great. But what's lacking is that 8:30 sitcom which is a family sitcom which is also a bit subversive or got a bit of depth or it's just really just well done and well written there doesn't seem to be that 830 family sitcom that's really any good and i think if you do see an 830 sitcom usually now it's quite poor or substandard it is and i think
1: what ended up happening in the late 90s was obviously we had things like the royal family began and then eventually in the 2000s the office which brought about, I I think those shows, I'm glad they brought in the single camera because I do think I like the balance of and there are some like if you're looking at like, Gavin and Stacey, that's probably the most mainstream successful single yeah. camera show in the UK. I mean, the ratings in the 2019 was higher than the 2003 Only Fools and Horses special, which is amazing Yeah, and higher than any Mrs. Brown's Boys episode. Obviously, it was an, an old show and it built its following. But still, it shows that the, the appeal was wide. Ranging, but I think what the, the thing I'm not enthusiastic about, and I uh, is that I think it brought about a, a, a more snobby outlook yeah. on yeah. what they thought was low key passe comedy. And I think I, I get the vibe from things people who are writers in the industry or actors in the industry who get sh- who basically create shows. The vibe I get is commission. I don't know if I've said this before on. This podcast, or even another one, maybe the two before or another podcast I've been on, but I do get the vibe that producers today put out comedy that they think the audience want, rather than what the audience actually wants. I mean, this time ten years ago when I was eighteen, I remember Monday nights you had Mrs Brown's Boys and, Ms., and Miranda on BBC One. I think at nine and to ten, it was two um, shows, and they were and it was really really great. You know. Um, I, I, just don't think they put the, the, the money into it or the right slots. I mean, the best shows I've seen in the last few years, um, were on BBC Two. Things like Motherland and Two Doors yeah. Down, which are just going to BBC, uh, one now. They're finally moving, but after quite a few series and they did one called Mum with Leslie Mandel, which is a bit more of a bittersweet sort of, yeah, pathos sitcom. But again, it was on two. No reason why it wasn't on one. So I, d- I just think, yeah, it's, it's just, it's nice to revisit these shows and, try and work out what, cause I think you, comedy does move on. Things do move on. You can't have the same thing forever, but I do want, um, I, I, I think we just haven't quite reached the heights of, of studio comedy since the 90s. Sorry to, to waffle on, but I, yeah, I, I really just love this show and, and what it, what it yeah to accommodate.
0: That's right. I think I agree exactly with everything you say there, John, because like these kind of a snobbery around comedy, I think that's crept in, uh, particularly from like the late nineties onwards. And I think to be honest, it seems to be like this is kind of like split down the middle where you either have a laughter track and you're quite broad and not really amazing or that great, or you haven't got a laughter track and you're quite low key and it's in a smart, well-written sitcom. But that's not actually true. But I do think there's that kind of a misconception that if it's got a laughter track, it's not going to be very good. And I think the sitcoms that have come out in the 2000s haven't helped that perception. But I think, you know, you can have both, you can have a a well-written, well-crafted, subversive 830 sitcom with depth and drama just as well as you can have a sitcom, which is maybe on BBC too, and it hasn't got a laughter track. You, you can have both, but I think there's that kind of snobbery that has crept in, but um certainly with the dieties and, and, you know, if you look at One Foot in the Grave and you look at 2.4 Children, the British Empire, they've all got in common this kind of depth, a sense of drama, a sense of well-rounded characters, you know, with One Foot in the Grave as well. There's a lot of sad, heartfelt moments in that. And... So, so, you can have a kind of a broad, well written sitcom that has got depth as well. But I think the perception now is, oh, if it's got a laughter track, it's dated, which I don't actually agree with. I, agree, I completely agree with what you, with your disa- I agree with your disagreement
1: because I, I disagree yeah. as well with this idea that, um, that laughter tracks are passe. I think this episode of British as well is, is, is very good in the way that it comes up. It has an idea in it that was eventually incorporated in the series Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Which is an American sort of single-camera show about the creator about the sort of fictionalized life of the Seinfeld creator Larry David about the idea of just if people are disabled it doesn't mean that they're good people or that you know there's a, there's that kind of idea yeah. um, uh, it's, it's 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 looking at idea, at ideas of, of certain groups of people and and subverting expectation of what you would expect a yeah. program to pr- portray a certain group to be like and I think it really was a show Britus, that was, was good in the character. Even the guest appearances, like the one like last week when we did the uh, episode about the, the, the therapist about kicking drugs in peace and he was just <laughs> totally mad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fan- that's one of my favorite episodes of series one, I think <laughs> grabbing Britus and just going crazy, with all these drugs and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is also, uh, again, th- th- this episode was, next one on which was underwater wedding and it was it was originally broadcast th- thursday the 24th of january 1991 it was at on bbc one and it was described and in the radio times as always we start with this british has to cope with an underwater wedding and a drunken customer so w- we've been a bit critical of the kind of the synopsis of Britis in these radio times original radio times entries some are good some are a bit odd, some are a bit vague. I guess that like, is a bit snappy and it does kind of sum up the episode, which is fair enough, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think that is probably the the closest one so far to uh, a, a description that would make me want to watch it. I mean, Underwater Wedding, I mean, they would have been quite new at the time. I can't imagine they would have been very a novelty, really. Not everyone. I can't imagine anyone in the 70s, many people in the 70s doing Underwater Weddings yeah. and it would be a kind of cool thing to do. And a drunken customer, I mean, that, that, you know, if you've got an event at somewhere and there's a drunk customer, there's that recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, if I ever get married, I would hate to have. You know, I'm not a big fan of swimming pools. It is, you know, the chlorine, you know, and just getting wet and cold and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it plays have It plays havoc with my fake tan, so I'm not a fan of. I wouldn't have an underwater wedding. <laughs>
1: No, and unless you want to come out and, and you've got all your fake, t- the, the sort of orange fake tan fading in the water a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, that's it. And it, I'll just look all different colours, you know, like an ice cream, you know, I'll, I'll be white one one bit, red another bit, brown another <laughs> bit. But yeah, definitely not for me exposing myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so funny. And and also what's really clever about this episode is that it's, it's all, almost at the centre of it is an interview. Yes. You know, it's this it's this idea of of something is happening and that Bruce is being taken away from. It's like the 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 girl who's being interviewed is is seeing the life or, or is surrounded by the chaos and of Whitbridge United you know, Town and Center. It's it's a good example of an interview makes somebody you know learn the every aspect of a place. This is the perfect one because it's just it, yeah. even even in an interview, he can't sit still and, and interview someone. There's there's always something going on
0: yeah it's interesting because we were talking about kind of first episodes and how the second episode of the british empire season one episode two could have quite easily been the first episode with it being opening mm-hmm. day and i think as well with this episode this also could have been the very first episode because with beverly you, you kind of seen it through her eyes like a normal person being brought into the madness of whitbury leisure center and she's like a lens which we can see all this madness happening around her so in a way it's, it's quite there's many sitcoms that do that i mean with the office for example and various other shows you get like a one character brought in and, and then like a lens that we look through a normal character who's brought into the madness and we kind of see what they're seeing so it's quite a, a good way of introducing introducing the show
1: absolutely and and this girl is called beverly pearson um who's 17 years old so um
0: doesn't look 17 sorry. does she
1: no disrespect to the actress who plays her, but uh, no. <laughs> no i I don't think she so good. i mean it's a weird one really i mean i've seen pictures of people i i know who were teenagers in the 90s and in some cases i think they look a lot older or in some case well they either look older now for their age and, and they would have looked older as teenagers or some people i know who look younger for their age now in their 40s or 50s still looked a lot younger than they would have been in their pictures of when they are 18. So it's an, it's, it's yeah. always a weird thing with teenagers. It's always hard to, to tell an age sometimes.
0: Yeah, I think people did look older in the olden days, didn't they, in, in some ways. If you look at repeats of Bullseye, you'll get somebody on, hi, I'm Jimmy from, you know, Liverpool, whatever. And it, you think he's like 52 or something. He goes, hi, I'm Jimmy, I'm 18. It's like, whoa. We're <laughs> referring to the 90s, the
1: olden days now, Chris. We are part. We are the olden days now.
0: <laughs> I, I can't believe, I can't believe the 90s is like 30 years ago. When I think of 30 years ago, I think the 70s still. Uh, same. It's, it's yeah, scary. Same.
1: <laughs> it is. It is. It was my parents' youth, the 70s. And we are as far from the 90s now as the 90s were from the 60s.
0: <laughs> and it's just, it's it's frightening. It really is frightening. I don't even want to count back to how old Fawlty Towers is now, but that's no. wow. <laughs> but it just shows you doesn't it it just shows you because like it doesn't matter if it's 30 years 50 years if if, good comedy i think is timeless and i think with faulty towers with british empire you know and a lot of the 90s sitcoms that i love you know there's keep up appearances 2.4 children i think good comedy never really ages i mean you can always see maybe what people wear and stuff but if it's funny it's funny
1: it is and i think with british here it, it, you know, go. I go back to what I said about it being like sixties. I don't. I can't imagine many sixties sitcoms aging as well for nineties audiences in the way that the nineties shows are aging for our modern day viewing outlook. Yeah. Because this, this, I mean, just from when you look at the opening of this, Brittus's is, is, is his approach to Beverly in the interview is a lot more. I don't know. He's got an enthusiasm towards her. You know, when he says things about, you know, what is our work at the center? She says, Oh, well, you want people to play sport. Um, and then he's sort of, he's staying wrong and in, in a way that he, I don't find him condescending in this scene. Actually, I find him, he's trying to shape her viewpoint for what his vision is for the, for it. And that's quite, um, was well, very different to the sixties, really, which I always think is a little yeah. bit more regimented and a bit more. Uh, sort of not in, in not in political but conservative quite traditionalist is how i always view the 60s even though eventually well for most people the 60s was very traditionalist even though we had the the flower child era which only really affected a group of pe- a small group of people
0: yeah that's right and i think with 90s sitcoms they haven't really aged that that, that much at all or it, it, if any unless it's kind of the the clothes they wear in but i think I watch a lot of 90s sitcoms now and i find them still really funny and obviously with the Brits Empire, i think is fantastic
1: and also the the social groups in a way i mean obviously you look at teenagers in the 60s and they're very different to teenagers in the 90s and of course not saying that, that that someone like beverly is anyway similar to the kind of to a good 17 year old girl in 2023 but i do think she has a kind of young a youth a young quality to her that yeah. is quite relevant now which is i think that she's quite it's quite her first full-time job she's going to go into and i know she's looking to get a job with a chemist and that you know when she gets a job she'll really grow up very quickly and she because she's because she's gone i mean she doesn't i mean bless her she's not what she's not in interview gear <laughs> she's not in <laughs> yeah. clothes for an interview dare i say it
0: hoop earrings denim jacket yeah not, definitely not interview gear um, and obviously with this scene as all well, you see the writers fleshing out Britta's character more because we see more about Britta's dream about bringing people together and w- i guess we see in this kind of first scene of him interviewing beverly is not just an annoying prat; is somebody with ambition with a dream
1: yeah i like the way she sort of says um he asks Do you notice anything written above the entrance and she and she gets it wrong like you're not to wear certain shoes no people wearing <laughs> leather jackets yeah. And then, uh, you know, it's Semper Omnibus Fa- Fa- Facultas, open to all. And I like that she's, oh, that is nice. She's kind of drawn in by him.
0: It's ironic that the Semper Omnibus Facultas above the door uh, because it's the Latin language is classist um, and isolates the very people who are most likely to access a leisure centre, which I guess is an interesting view there. It's not something that I've actually thought about before. But um, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have thought like that, actually. And that's a re- I like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, and then also in this scene, we see um, that what we hear about, there's an underwater wedding taking place in the swimming pool. So that's what we find out in this scene as well. Beverly as well, by the way, is, is played by Karen Bidmead. I couldn't find anything else she'd been in when I was doing my research, John. I don't know if you found anything, but I struggled no. to find anything,
1: acting credit. No, I said, yeah. No, it was nothing else I could find for
0: her. Britis gets a call from Colin who, infor- who informs him that the best man has their hands stuck down the grate in the pool, which we learn got stuck there when he tried to get the ring um the actual wedding ring that he dropped down it just want to mention about uh, what british says as well in the in the interview like he says about um you know
1: it, it, the way he brings he really brings his dream into the context of sports you know i like to see people who hate sport people who can't yeah. see the point and you know what i tell you why because in a divided world troubles such as this support can bring people together um oh, oh and i see I, I, she's like oh I, oh I see and she's and he says out there people fighting hating, arguing if I can get them to come in here and have a badminton game instead, to talk to each other in the shower afterwards, to share each other's deodorant. (laughs) I mean, he's just got this very idealised outlook. Um, He says, I'm not even ashamed to say it, to love one another. And Leicester centre is not for playing sport, it's a cathedral for the
0: modern community. Yeah, it's great. And it, it just shows more of Brits' character. And I think that's why I love Gordon Britis. It's that depth. He's, he is quite a three-dimensional character. And as we were mentioning, you know, you can have depth and be on at 8.30 on BBC One.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also have a very dodgy idea of yeah. having a best man stuck at the bottom of a pool. I mean, that's quite grim, yeah. really.
0: It is grim. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, I'll, I'll come on to that final scene in this episode because it always sends a bit of a shiver down my spine, to be honest, but uh, you'll yeah, we'll come on to yes. that. <laughs> um, and yeah, we'll, we cut to the pool. Tim and Gavin are trying to set this guy free. He's got his hand stuck in the grate, who's at the bottom of the pool. And I think he's got some kind of oxygen sort of tank on him, hasn't he? So that keeps him yeah. alive. <laughs> I love the fact that he wrote a message underwater on
1: a pen, because in my opinion, in my, in my head, you put water down, or um, what? What's he? What's he write on? It's a, it's, it's a paper of some kind, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because he, he does writing it, saying, g- g- yeah, I think he does write some kind of message on a piece of paper. I'm not sure how he does it underwater, but quite impressive.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and it just, I would have just thought as soon as he starts writing, it would just sort of crumple and and yeah go no away
0: <laughs> must be it must be a sharpie must be a sharpie or something like that yes oh god yeah um
1: hopefully it, it'll just smudge a little bit like when you when you is a, he's this guy's left-handed and anyone who's left-handed will understand the pain of having to write something down yeah, and you smudge me. the pen you're left-handed as well
0: you're on a Satan's phone as well chris i am yes i am the devil yeah yes i'm left i'm left-handed yeah i've got all blood and stuff all over the walls which you can't see right now but <laughs>
1: And he says it's, um, it's running out of air. Is what he um, what he what he's written down there. So we know that there's he needs to get out of there as soon as possible.
0: You know, he's, he's a guy. It's quite a serious moment. A guy struggling for air at the bottom of the pool. And all British has to say is how bad his handwriting is. And there's obviously a gala um, swimming gala uh, G for the twelve. And I love the fact you had um,
1: a vicar <laughs> in the cape, but with also the, the all the gear. He says yeah. he has a um, vicar had a spare one down his trunks um, for the ring um you know it's it's just it's just such a a real military operation it feels like to do an underwater wedding
0: it's about i, I mean i i didn't know underwater weddings were a thing until i watched this episode i'd, I'd never heard of an underwater wedding but i guess it's it's, it's an interesting thing to do i guess it, it must be cheaper than a standard traditional wedding yeah um, oh, absolutely and, i mean
1: i know of someone who got married in asda well, I, not personally but i know that my, local assets to where i grew up uh people some people um
0: the bar went up the escalator to the george area All <laughs> oh, right, interesting wow amazing i, I heard about the couple I got a massive greg's buffy for their uh their wedding that sounds like my kind of wedding that those are that chicken bakes. Right. And, and and the groom is in this episode and he's played by richard lumsden who's been in multiple things and he was in Sense and Sensibility 1995. He was also in Sugar Rush mm-hmm. and The Avengers. He's quite a well-known actor him, isn't he? Um, have you seen Sugar Rush, John? Because that was one of my favourite shows back in 2005. I remember seeing the advert for When We Were On All 4 the other year, but I didn't watch it first time. Uh, but I, I will give it a try at some point. Yeah, I like Sugar Rush. It's about a girl who's got a crush on her, her best friend, Sugar, who's, who's really kind of, you know, the most the popular girl at school. But it's really good. It's it's in the vein of At Home With The Braithwaite, if anyone's ever seen that. And uh, that's yeah. another, another show that I quite liked. But uh, but yeah, he's been in quite a lot. He's also been in EastEnders, the Catherine Tate show. And I thought he was... When I first saw this, this best man here, uh, the groom, sorry, the groom, I thought it was actually the guy out of Men Behaving Badly because there's an episode called Cardigan where Neil Morris's character... Tony gets quite jealous of this student who's really, really irritating. He's got an irritating face, which, you know, you just want to strangle. Uh, it was in an episode called Cardigan, I think, in series five. And they all go to a rave. And I thought that's the guy it was, but it's not. And then Gavin goes with Britus at this point as well. So obviously they're all around the pool. The guy's stuck at the bottom. You've got the vicar, Britus, Colin. Colin's been as useless as ever, isn't he, at the pool? Not giving any helpful advice whatsoever. And basically what, what they find is they need a screwdriver. They need a screwdriver to undo the grate to set this guy free. So Gavin... You know, Britis fails with this bar of soap to set him free. So Gavin goes with Britis to find a screwdriver. Do you know what? I, I don't know about you, but I
1: think this is perfect timing. For anyone who remembers when we went swimming as as, as kids, you know, if you ever needed the toilet, but you're in the pool and you felt like maybe I should try it, but then you don't. Did, did you ever believe what PE teachers told you, that if you went for a wee in the pool, the pool would turn... A certain color.
0: I think I heard this. Yeah, just to scare you from doing it.
1: Yeah, I think I did hear. Yeah, if everyone does it, if everyone wheezes at the same time, it turns. I think if you if one person wheezes in the pool, it turns green, and then if and then it goes around you, so they know it's you. And then if it's everyone at the same time, wheezes at the same time, it turns purple, and you have to stay in and swim.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's just it's awful, isn't it? I mean, that's another reason why I don't like swimming because you don't know what's happening. You know what's going on in those pools, do you? You know, there's there's plasters and people could be we or up in it's just it's not my thing a swimming pool no it's uh, it's a bit grim and <laughs> um, and then obviously overseeing all this chaos you know in the swimming pool with this guy being trapped at the bottom and all the all the all the stuff that's going on basically is helen and a friend pam in the cafe which overlooks the swimming pool area and so they see they're seeing what's happening and obviously helen's saying you know they're going to be a while gordon's trying to sort it out so she immediately knows this problem is going to get worse with gordon trying to gordon Britta's trying to fix it all um, and yeah, the, exactly. the, the cafe area is kind of often used in the british empire as a way for helen to offload her thoughts of british to to a friend or a colleague it's sometimes julie often it's laura in the first mm-hmm. series obviously it's pam and um, pam only in season one which we've already mentioned and i love this scene because we actually learn how helen and gordon meet don't we john
1: we do yeah i like i like it in sitcoms like this where you have a, a couple who one's a monster and the other one the audience sort of question why are they together? And I think uh One from the Graves done it, Every Decrease in Circles did it, where you have a scene where you kind of learn the dynamic and the history of why certain people get together. And I, I do like this scene. Um Yeah. I like the fact the fact that Baham says, How did you and Gor meet? And then and then um, Helen's like, Do you mean why did I marry him?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good line. <laughs> and it turns out Helen broke down with an ape called Terry on the motorway uh, who she agreed to let her take out to to dinner I think and British arrived clutching I love this line clutching his little set of socket spanners
1: (laughs) yeah and um, I love the way, uh, and, and you, again, you learn that she's had uh, bad luck with men and she was going through her own divorce. So we now learn she's, she was married previously. And I do love Helen's um, impression of Britis. Um, yeah. He, uh, the fact they said, um, he looked at the end and said, oh, someone's not been cleaning those sparks for pl- plugs properly. I can't do Helen doing an impression of Britis. But it, it's, um, it's the fact that she says nobody spoke to Terry like that, meaning that even Britis back then was just completely unaware of how to be behave
0: yeah that's it and then obviously helen laughs at, at uh, Britta's going uh, somebody's not been cleaning their spot probably and uh, terry tells helen to shut up and Britta said women deserve better language than that and that's how they kind of get together Britta says that they should british says they should all sit down and apologize and shake hands
1: <laughs> i just love that i just think i can just visualize that happening on the m6
0: yeah, and then my favorite line is and then then Terry hit him over the head with a tire lever. Long hot summer of eighty
1: three. I know that the eight seventy-six was a hot summer. I've never heard of the hot summer of eighty three.
0: I I've not actually no after after have to research that. But um but yeah, then Helen obviously says she became quite fond of Gordon from that moment. You know, Gordon stuck up for her when she wasn't being treated very nice. And I love how she said she became quite fond of him because he was drifting in and out of a coma in a hospital. And that's why she liked him. With his jaw wired up. I thought he was great. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was quite different to how he is now. Back then, he was drifting in out of a coma, coma, with, it, coma, coma with his jaw wide open. Uh, Francis Lowe played Pam, who was known mm. um, for Gosworth Park, 2001, Shallow Grave, 1994, and a perfect spine, 87. She'd been at Agatha Christie's. Priro which I think that's uh, Miss Marple sorry which is why I perhaps recognize her so I'm sure I've seen her on like telly or something but but again only in season one she isn't a character that's needed when Helen becomes friends with uh, with Laura who kind of takes on that role of the person Helen offloads all her troubles to
1: yeah it feels like this could have been a Laura scene
0: yeah definitely this definitely could be a laura scene because i think helen and laura kind of become friends from season two onwards don't they and um, particularly in season three when laura's leaving and helen's absolutely distraught (laughs) so um so yeah and then we find out it's gordon helen's wedding anniversary as well in this bit don't we john yeah i love it when pam says i thought you looked a bit down (laughs) yeah you yeah, know a milestone <laughs> must that be great for helen we cut to the office and british is giving gavin a screwdriver and i love this scene because Bev- beverly beverly is drooling over gavin and did you see how she just kind of stares at gavin as he walks in and walks out i i do not i did not notice that I yeah is it um, Really strange, yeah. It's, I mean, Gabby walks in with his flippers on to get this screwdriver from Britta's office to basically go and free this guy in the pool who's still stuck there. And Beverly's just looking at him, just staring with her mouth open. And it always kind of, yeah, I, it always catches my attention that. She, like, looks at him as he's he going, and, and is going, Beverly, Beverly! It's just, yeah. Oh, yes. I, I, for some reason, I didn't even click on that. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, it's I'm always... that. Yeah, so I've always thought that. And then, yeah, so Angie walks in at this point, and then Beverly explains how Britta's been telling him telling her about the dream of world peace and she's going he's very impressive isn't he and I, I, this is my favorite line that beverly says to angie i wonder what sort of a world it would be like if everyone was like him and angie just looks and she like this like um mm, god it's quite a thought isn't it
1: yeah i i like how beverly's so taken in by gordon um quite naive younger a sort of teenager, I sound so patronised in saying that, but as a 28-year-old now, I kind of feel like, God, I look back at, you know, you look back even five years ago and think, oh my God, yeah, <laughs> think. Yeah, um,
0: it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously everyone in the centre knows how irritating and annoying British is, but then she's coming in she's like amazed by him like oh he wants world peace he wants to bring people together through sport yeah and i love how the, the, beverly's
1: been taken in by his story about um when he was a student at loughborough um you know so there was a chap who always read books politics philosophy anything to avoid talking to you you know the sort. now i used to coach football for underprivileged lads and every week i'd ask this chap if he'd play and then he says every week he'd make up an excuse like he had exams or something or they didn't like football i kept plugging away till one day just after his mother died i think <laughs> he gave in he said okay gordon you win i'll play played one game for that one game who's part of a team he belonged he told me that years he told me that years later when i ran into him at a petrol station he was polishing cars when i saw what he made of his life the shine under the bonnets the pride he must have felt wearing those general motor overalls that is when i realized sport can change lies then he goes on to say i have a dream and it's interesting like someone like Basil Fawlty would have looked down on that lad. Yeah doing that but Gordon didn't and I and I think it's an interesting one he's a hard character to read sometimes and I don't I don't mean just as a fictional guy but as a as a person as a person sometimes he's a real snob and other times he's very not not very snobby it's a very interesting com- combination
0: yeah, he's a complex character Gordon Brittas isn't he and um, a lot more complex than perhaps people give him credit for because you're right, they, particularly with these earlier episodes, he's more of a snob. I mean, he won't let Colin meet the Duchess of Kent, but then obviously he's not really looking down on people like say Highson Bucketwood.
1: I always like in an interview when you meet someone who's going to work with you and they seem nice, it gives you a little bit of a, a relief if um, you know, if you like someone that you you meet and you think they're going to be a potential colleague, if you get a good vibe, you think oh, I could work with that person.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think you'd be in safe hands with Angie, wouldn't you? Angie or Laura? I think if if you knew you, they were there, I think yeah, I could get through this job with them.
1: Yeah, that, that's exactly it.
0: Yeah, and then um, in reception, as always, Carol is crying, isn't she? She's lost the beds now. It's everything's getting worse. For we talked about Carol, how she's a tragic figure in the British Empire, but in series one, she just everything just seems a lot more, a lot more bleaker for Carol, I think, than the rest of the series.
1: I know. I mean, it's gone from, you know, she, she just she's having postnatal depression and just giving birth. Second episode, it's, um, you know, she's she's trying to get everything sorted at home. And then her so husband came back and then he left because of the misunderstanding. And now the bailiffs have come. I mean, it just it just couldn't get worse for her.
0: Yeah, there's a great line later on in this episode where um, she goes to Helen about the lilo's. And she goes, oh, no, you keep them until you get your beds back. <laughs> Just tragic, but funny at the same time.
1: And I love how Gordon's quick to notice the flipper water on the yes. floor.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's not, it's not really happy. There's been a lot of water in reception and, um, obviously Carol, Carol tells him that it's the people, it's, it's the wedding people that kind of made a mess. They've got water all over reception and it's just really upsetting. And they're all taking photos outside, wedding photos in the flippers and the snorkeling gear and Britta just comes out and tells them all off and just says, um, can you do it in your own time? All right, point taken. Yeah, the, the bride starts crying and he's upsetting them all. And the, the vicar's overseeing it all. And he, he says to the boy, were you the one caught sticking a potato peeling up, up his exhaust earlier? And he gives him a five pound note. Try it again with a dog poo. Was that dog poo the one, do you think, um, from the, uh, like,
1: a toy one?
0: I don't know. I thought, I thought the vicar was actually thinking, you know, actually put a real dog poo up British's exhaust. That's what I got from it. I didn't think he wanted him to do a plastic dog poo. But, um, yeah, it could be one of the toy ones, maybe. And I guess even £5, no, that'd be quite a lot in today's money. What would that be, like, £20 or something? So that's quite a decent payout for sticking some poo up somebody's exhaust, isn't it?
1: Yeah, very much. Especially, I bet, I bet the guy, um, the vicar, will be um, like, well, God would make me want to do it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it's just funny the fact that a vicar is telling him, that out of all the people, a vicar is actually telling this boy to go and stick some poop, Brits exhaust. <laughs> that, that just makes it funnier, I think. You get that paradox with Brits's character, because obviously he wants to be there for the customers. He's all about customer, customer, customer. But then at the same time, he's he's about rules, rules, rules. So that, so they create a bit of a tension in his character, because obviously, on one hand, he wants to do everything for the customers that's right, but then he's upsetting them all by saying, this is against the rules. So it's it's a nice interesting little contrast there within his his character. Absolutely. And, um, obviously back inside Laura is telling, this is when we get the, the the B plot gets introduced to us. So back inside Laura is telling a man in an electric wheelchair, he's not welcoming the center. And Britis is very outraged and happy about this. You know, you you can't be sending wheel people in wheelchairs saying they're not welcoming the center, you know, and he he goes, you know, you have a good time. So he kind of pushes him through the corridor and off he goes driving off in his electric wheelchair, doesn't he? He's drunk.
1: Um, you know, he's got a 24 pack of Guinness and 18 around.
0: Tea. I guess it's an example of how not everything ages quite as well as we perhaps expect. And through twenty twenty three eyes, we perhaps look at this 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 joke of this drunk guy in a wheelchair who we find out is watching the girls getting undressed. Uh, I think maybe we, we see that joke now. And we think, oh, that's a bit a bit creepy now. Maybe not as funny as it as it was back then.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's it's. Um... I think it plays it right in terms of not redeeming him, and you know they are kicking him out. They they take it seriously, you know. And and again, it goes back to what I said before about the idea of of how British has this assumption that he mustn't be disabled if he's doing that. But it's like, well, no, he is. And it's it's this idea that you know just because you might be in a wheelchair doesn't mean you know, this doesn't mean you're you're instantly a good person or something, or that you know yeah. it can be. I just think it's it was interesting that they were doing that even then
0: yeah you're right i mean i've never thought of it like that but yeah because the wheelchair guy he's the villain of this episode really isn't he i mean he's a bit of a creep he's not very nice and he's not he's not a vulnerable character is he even though he's in a wheelchair
1: yeah and i like the fact that when uh brit says you know ask him to leave we don't you know uh, we don't want his sort in here um it's just the fact that he's taking it seriously not referring to the disability of the being in a wheelchair he's referring to in fact, he, you know, he wants everyone there. He wants to be inclusive, but it's just the fact that, you know, he's a creep. And it's like when um, they said um, he's a peeping in no peeping about it. He was just sitting there watching them get undressed. I mean, it's, you know, it's just horrible, creepy.
0: Yeah, it is. And it,
1: yeah, really horrible.
0: I think it, it is. I think after kind of, obviously, Jimmy Savile and all that, you know, things like that, you just go, oh, gosh, no, that's it, it does send a bit of a chill down your spine, doesn't it, really? Gavin arrives to advise the screwdriver doesn't fit the grill in the pool. And, <laughs> yeah, Brit sends him out to home base. Yeah, yeah. Just going- in, in in his flip-flops and and, and, yeah. under- and trunks. <laughs> and then obviously back in the cafe, we've got Helen and Pam. She's there chatting about Britus. We do learn more about Gordon Britus as a character, and, and we learn from Helen that he sees himself more as a Mother Teresa, so a sort of savior of the world. And it's just really interesting, isn't it? We get more depth, more. More of an opening up of what Gordon Britts is about, more I- internal, the internal mechanisms of what what makes him tick. We find out the staff in his last job gave him a print of General Gordon with a spear in his chest. And then in small writing on the spear, I love this bit, from all the staff at older shot. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny
1: because it, you just think he he would have taken that to mean that he they thought of him in that way. But actually, you know, they yeah. hated him.
0: Yeah, that's it. He takes it to mean like, oh, it's one of his proudest possessions, you know. He, 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 you know, I, I bet he probably thinks, oh, he, he thinks they think I'm strong, a great leader and stuff. But really, I mean, I I did a bit of research on General Gordon, and he was born January 1833, and died on the 26th of January 1885. So, and he met a very sticky end, actually. So mm. we, get, we get an insight with this with this present, this leaving gift that Gordon British got of what his staff actually thought of him because um, general, the actual General Gordon had a spear thrust into his chest he was then stabbed in the back and then hacked to pieces with swords Oh and bless him he made, it was two days before his birthday as well. Oh yeah so that, that's what the Aldershot think of British basically and you know he takes it as a compliment so.
1: I love when Pam says what does he think and um, and Laura and Helen says that they were too shy to sign it properly.
0: Yeah yeah it's absolutely brilliant yeah i I, I think like i say i love these cappy scenes because you you just get to see exactly it's a great way of kind of a great foil to kind of see what what british is all about it's just brilliant i love the way um laura helen's i don't know
1: why i keep saying laura helen (laughs) says they both care a great deal they bond desperately to help they both think that god's called them for some special purpose the difference is I doubt God called Gordon at all. I think he just heard a message from someone else and he's not hes not qualified as a messiah.
0: And then Pam, and then Pam says, yes, he should be somewhere at the, in the back, shouldn't he? Dusting the hymn books. Yes,
1: it's brilliant. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's that idea of having ideas above your station. And then Helen says, only trouble is, if you think
0: Gordon's limited, what does that make the one who married him? Yeah, it's quite, it's quite a sad line, that really, isn't it? Kind of, again, it, it's, this is what I like about these kind of sitcoms it's you've always got kind of dramas always just round the corner from the comedy you know you, you have the comedy cut with the drama or the drama cut with the comedy and you see a lot with one foot in the grave and 2.4 children and it's the same here it's like we've been laughing at some jokes but then she says a line that's quite melancholy and I, I, I love mm-hmm. that about these sitcoms and, and that's why I love them because you know you've got that kind of mix of comedy and drama and and one or the other kind of cuts into the other one and I think that's really good and then back in the office Brace continues tries to continue the interview with Beverly even though the mounting disasters of a, a drunk in a wheelchair which is now loose in the centre who's also a peeping Tom and a guy who's trapped at the bottom of the pool and Colin arrives advising he can't catch the drunk in the wheelchair because he's put a matchstick in the governor Mr Britas he's going 30 miles <laughs> miles per hour around the, around the centre.
1: I like the fact that um, this running gag with Colin that he always runs into the office and, and he's like go Colin and then he he shuts the door and then knocks it from the from the inside, as if it makes up for of the fact that he's burst in.
0: Yeah, it's great that. Can we not, Colin? Oh, sorry. And he closes the door and knocks from the inside. Brilliant.
1: I also like the fact that, with um, Beverly, mentions he doesn't want qualifications, he wants visionary dreamers, idealists, but who have a practical, no-nonsense yeah. common sense. You know, the, it, there is that, it's that kind of modern thing about, well, the, you know, the, the debate about degrees and, you know, does it really help you or does it, you know, you, you might get a degree, but you have common sense and other skills. You know, I think it's really interesting.
0: It is, and you, again, it's, it's talking about British, because he's like an he's got a few contradictions in his character and it makes him all the more complex because on one hand, it's about rules and stuff and you would think, oh, you've got to have the correct qualifications to work here, and you the, the correct documentation, but then he's also saying, I'm actually not bothered about your qualifications, it's all about you. Especially as he was, he went, he went to university himself at Loughborough. Yes, Loughborough College of Sports University. Um, and Angie walks in, she brings the plans of the building, the architect's plans, because what British wants to do now is find a way of trapping this drunk in the wheelchair going 30 miles an hour. So he's wanting to kind of cut him off, isn't he, in the corridor. So he starts to roll out the maps, and then Beverly says, you can use copper boxes. And he goes, well done, Beverly Pearson. You're getting the hang of this already, aren't you? And their idea is obviously putting the cardboard boxes there to kind of make the wheelchair guy... Tr- crash into them so they can eventually catch him.
1: Yeah. And um, I like, I like that. So that's what they do in the films.
0: And then we also hear as well that is again, he's stealing women's clothes. This guy in the wheelchair, which, which again, through modernize is a bit more chilling than funny, I think now, which yeah. is interesting how, it's interesting how kind of meanings change over time, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And she's going back to something in the, in the office, you know, when he, he, he calls the company with the, um, he calls it, is that Everest invalid class? Um, yeah. right quite a bizarre name
0: <laughs> yeah it is because uh, i was going to say that because yeah it's referred to this i mean i mean i don't know about you i mean i'd refer to a wheelchair that's motorized as an electric wheelchair but he was referred to it as an invalid an invalid car which i don't know if that was a common term back then because invalid's quite a negative term isn't it now it's it's, it's seen as kind of perhaps an insult i said if you call somebody an invalid yeah. And you wouldn't even you call a wheelchair, an electric wheelchair, an invalid car now, would you? Yeah, it, it, it,
1: the um, the guy is a, is a nightmare. I mean, you see a lot of Brits using the, um, the architecture of the building to use um, to find out where to go next.
0: You do. And also watching series one again, I noticed there's a lot of kind of comedy with Britta's on the phone in, in season one. Um, I think as the series progresses, you don't really see him on the phone as much as you do in series one, which is interesting. I mean, you have got that whole thing with the bye bye baby episode when it, when he's manning the desk, which is just fantastic. And a lot of the jokes center uh, around him being on the, on the phone, but not really hearing who's on the other end, a bit like, uh, High to book it keep appearances. And
1: then uh, I love the way, and then Carol says about the Lilos to, uh, to Helen on the front
0: desk. Yes. Oh, no, you, you keep them till you get your beds back. Yeah, he's, he's marching through the reception, isn't he? Asked Pam and Helen's there with Carol. And you, they're just here him closing down the whole building now. You know, he's closing down the squash courts. He's locking the pool area in all this, trying to trap this guy, which the, a whole team of fitness, fitness staff can't seem to catch one drunk in a wheelchair, which is quite funny. And I love this scene because he also upsets... Um, he upsets Pam, who he always calls Pat, and he says, uh, I see you've told Pat, uh, told Pat to uh, take my advice then. Come into the centre to turn up the flab or lose a few pounds, was it, Pat? And then he mentioned, they
1: mentioned that um, in the evening it's the anniversary um, that every year he books tickets, dinner and a show and a hotel in London. Um, <laughs> I like the way that Helen knows how the evening's going to go, which is when Pam recommends raising, oh, we never go. Something you we, something happens, you should settle
0: for a take a Chinese takeaway. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, she, she knows Gordon so well. It's like with the sandwiches in the first episode. She just knows him so well that, you know, that you know, there's never going to be staff coming back to the house. They're never going to get to this show and the hotel for the anniversary because there's going to be some disaster that gets in the way. And obviously, she's once again proven correct.
1: Yeah, I love the way he runs. There's a burst radio pipe. I'm coming.
0: yeah it's just this snowball it's just this snowball of chaos in the center isn't it and i think this episode is the first really big sort of disaster we had a few kind of series the first episode kind of set up it gave you a little flavor of the disasters to come with the crazy tennis tennis table tennis guy the episode two again you've got this kind of farce and stuff in, in episode three but this one is the first kind of big disaster i think where things really do get quite take a turn for the worse and get quite dark quite quickly um i mean you've got the corridor so colin has made a wall of cardboard boxes to trap the man and he's also got what? what's the weapon colin's got here is it because he's got like some kind of weapon hasn't he yeah
1: it's like um it looks like something you would use um to pick up sausages on a barbecue
0: yeah i was gonna say harpoon but that's not right is it i don't know what it is yeah i don't know what it is he's
1: got it's just funny that all these boxes are literally covering the whole of the the corridor
0: yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, um, they've got no hope here, have because they? Because the, car- the box is the cardboard wall box, you know, it's literally covering the whole corridor, isn't it? It's going right to the ceiling so that there's no way they can see over and see if the, the guy in the wheelchair's coming.
1: Yeah, I love the way that he says, um, to when, when he says, you can see if you're on the fire step. If we can stand here, we can shoot these ties out. And then Britta says, yeah, this
0: isn't warfare. We're not ambushing a Nazi patrol. Yeah, I, l- I love this bit with the screwdriver because, again, it's about that t- attention to detail because Gavin arrives with the correct screwdriver from home base to free this man but he can't get to the man because the pools are locked and who's told who's told the staff to lock the pools it's of course Britus. so so you always see kind of the little details of it. it's always what Britus says what he does he, he's the seed that causes all the all the problems in the center and it's so carefully written that way that um, and make british the scent the epicenter of you know causing all the chaos and it even the little subtle bits like locking the pool or pushing the guy in the wheelchair down the corridor you know these are all what british has done these are all Brits' actions and it, it causes the problems to mount and mount and mount
1: it's, it's a great visual shot actually of the guy going through the the boxes and it's like uh, all the
0: the walls uh, like the wall breaking down yeah see, he, he smashes through duncey and then british goes you bastard <laughs> see as he's speaking off down the corridor and another thing um, I mean because Linda wasn't in the last episode and she's in this episode as well but she's almost I find Linda in series one and in this scene as well she's almost like an extra isn't she she hasn't got a lot to do with the character of Linda in the first series
1: yeah no I think um I think she's more of a uh, uh, not psycho but uh, not, that's not true but just um more of a of a there's a group of them isn't there in, yeah in, in the, who are kind of other staff members who we don't really get to know she's we know her a little bit more. But yeah. not as much as we, as we, as we. as She becomes more prevalent in certain scripts from series two onwards. I think.
0: Yeah, she does. I mean, because there are definitely plots in series two where they get Linda more involved. But yeah, yeah, it's strange because she's almost invisible in series one. I mean, she's got some bits, obviously, more to do. I think in this episode as it as it progresses. But I mean, in the last episode, she wasn't even in it, which is quite unusual, really, for a main character.
1: Yeah, and then poor Gavin. Uh, when ro- <laughs> Colin shot shot so wrong that Gavin is now yeah. kind of chained. His his shoulders kind of he would caught his shoulder, and now he's literally stuck to the top that he was leaning
0: against. So the shock of the guy smashing through the cardboard boxes has made Colin shoot his weapon, gun thing, and this this barbed kind of metal. Whatever it is, this, this metal thing is now trapped in Gavin's arm. He was bleeding and nailed to a door. Tim is absolutely yeah. distraught. He's hilarious in this scene. He's hysterical, isn't he? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a typical Tim, very
1: anxious. And obviously, Britis has no idea why, of course, he would be. So I was like, yeah. that's blood. He's hurt.
0: Yeah. Gavin! Gavin! And he's slapping his face and yeah Tim's very very distraught here so we, we get to see another insight into how how much Tim cares for Gavin especially in season one Tim's more keen on Gavin than Gavin is of Tim I think
1: Yeah oh yeah I get that vibe I like the way he, he, he gets the screwdriver it's, and he's like putting it right towards um, Britta's face saying he could be bleeding we can't just wait for an ambulance
0: I think Russell Porter is so good in
1: this scene because he just gets the,
0: the hysteria of Tim and I like when
1: Britta says no, I know what we'll do and then the next scene in the, in the, um, yeah. the front desk area. you've got they've taken broken down the door and now they're carrying gavin almost like he's on a um a, a stretcher yeah out of there but on a door it's just really funny
0: yeah i love that and then you obviously get a pregnant woman who is also being carried through the reception on a door just like gavin is after the wheel man, after the wheelchair man burst into the antenatal class and caused her to go into labor due to shock and Angie has some great lines in this scene as well, because you've got, obviously, Laura, Angie, Brittus, they're all in the reception. Gavin's being carried out on a door through the reception, and uh Angie says, I don't see why she, she couldn't have a door. Gavin's got one. Yeah, I, I, it's just such a... It, it, I love in comedy,
1: that, that, that when there's a line that's so absurd, yeah. and it's delivered with such normalcy, like it's like anybody, like it's the most normal thing to say. The, the thing that I love when she says next is there's the thing when Britta says, yeah. couldn't you could have given her a fireman's lift. And then um is like, You can't sing a pregnant woman over your shoulder, Mr. Britis. And then she says, Yeah, one joel and she'll have the baby all down your back.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's just that, a beautiful image that is yeah really good right it's just so well delivered that line as well absolutely fantastic great image great line it's it, it's really
1: um, clever how they do it and and the the dialogue and the and, and then again so well constructed in terms of the actual storyline the comparisons and then the dialogue and the meaning it, i just i'm so
0: impressed by it it's brilliant and then we also find out as well there's some sodium hyperchlorite leak um, and everyone starts uh, choking, we find out, don't we? So this is when the disaster gets ratcheted up to the next level, really, doesn't it? Right, Bill, I want you to help Ian and Ronnie get those injured people out of the fire, escaping into ambulances. Phil, organise breathing mass and check the rest of the building. Laura, set up first aid stations outside the emergency exit. Linda, get me a full list of names and addresses of people leaving. Both get compensation forms and damage claims. Patrick, make sure the car park is clear for the fire brigade. Debbie, get onto the hospital, get me a full list of casualties. Colin, put the kettle on.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's really um, choosing the the staff members who is who are most reliable and, and and know what they're good at, and he knows what they're good at. Yeah, and I I also like when 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 the when he starts coughing and there's a, a teacher comes in and says hello excuse me I've got fifty two tinies
0: here for an activity session not yeah. too early are we One of the things I love about the British Empire is these disasters because they just there's great they're great and as the series progresses they get more and more surreal more and more kind of elaborate and adventurous, particularly yeah. in the first five series. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and, and then when you get back to the, um, the interview. Yeah, there's some great lines from Beverly here. She says she, she, she thought it was about sport coming to the leisure Centre. She didn't realise she need to know what to do when people are gassed or nailed to the door. And it's yeah. just... I hilarious. think it's interesting, though, like, going
1: choosing between a sports centre or, or a chemist. You know, and it's that idea of actually, I know which one I'd rather have.
0: Yeah, because Britta says, don't make a decision now, Beverly. Have a think about it. <laughs> and then as just as that
1: happens um we have the uh, the man in the wheelchair uh, go into the um to the room what why is it his his wheelchair goes on
0: so yeah um, i mean i noticed something that i've never noticed before in this episode when I watched it previously, but yeah, the, the, the guy in the wheelchair, so you got Britus and Beverly back in Britus's office at the desk trying to complete the interview and he comes through Britus's door. He doesn't actually smash through it. It kind of knocks the door down which then becomes a ramp and then he goes up mm-hmm. the ramp and out the window. What I thought was interesting yes. was yeah what i thought was interesting was how british and beverly disappear now obviously that's kind of the technical things of health and safety get the actors out while they do the stunt but i, I just find it quite unusual and interesting because you've got british and beverly at the table at the british's desk and then you do see british's desk again and they both just disappear in a split second as this stunt happens and they reappear i just found that quite interesting because i never noticed that before i get what you mean because the thing is um when he when the, when he um
1: when the wheelchair goes into the uh, over the the door, which is essentially a ramp at this point, he then um, flies off it as he gets here and goes up through the window of the office. And then, yeah, just after we mention what Beverly says, you know, when she says, "I thought about Mister Britters, If you don't mind, I'll take the job at the chemist." You then yeah. see Britters has a hand with the um, wheel. Um, <laughs> um, what 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 are they called when you have a um,
0: like a tire mark?
1: Tire mark on him and you think so. Hang on, his hand would have been on the part where where the the the, the, the tire would, the the wheel would have gone over his hand, but as you say, it disappears.
0: Yeah, very very eerie, very bizarre. Yes, I, I definitely recommend people to pause it at that exact moment when that wheelchair scene happens, and you'll see. i to show sure if there's a bit of a slight plot hole here because at the start of the episode, we learned that Beverly only had an interview at the chemist, and they recommended she went to the leisure centre which I thought implied they didn't want her to work for them but then she says I think I'll take the job at the chemist implying she's already got it so I don't know alright yeah um, well I don't know if I've read that right? I don't know if you saw it in that but, way John or
1: um, I hadn't seen it in that way no I-, I just saw it as that she just had two o- it was just two options really
0: yeah, yeah, could have well, yeah. I guess. Yeah, uh, and then obviously we cut outside, and Britta's is pumping up his tyres, which have been let down again, as Angie said earlier in the episode. Is with Helen, and the an aniv- the anniversary plans are now being canceled have aren't they?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's really funny because you think, he, uh, it happens every year, and she remembers it, and you think she would be bothered, but she clearly isn't. And yeah, he, he he never remembers.
0: Yeah, she's just used to it You know, it's it's Chinese takeaway every year, isn't it for them? I mean, I think I'd be quite sad if I've had to wait for a Chinese takeaway for annually because I love Chinese food. But there we go.
1: Oh yeah, I, I, I chicken char mains my I'm trying to, uh, the, the weekly or t- t- every other week. Cheese,
0: <laughs> anything crispy chicken wise? yeah, crispy chicken in Peking sauce, or or maybe chicken curry, salt and pepper chicken as well.
1: I think what well, I think it works well with this is the the combination of um he's he's um, he inspired the, the thing I always say is that in a way it it, it explores the, the three elements of Britis and his, his whole ethos and 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 approach and philosophies of life so yeah. you have the, the interview I'm trying to inspire then you have the incident with the man in the wheelchair and everything going on with the wedding so obviously chaos and of the daily goings-on at the leisure center but then with the anniversary it's obviously he he loves his wife, but then things happen. so he, in a way, you wonder, is he more passionate about his his work,
0: his career as opposed to his marriage? yeah, it's an interesting point that because obviously, in season two, he <laughs> just say to Helen he's got a mistress, which is the building, <laughs> so yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and I love this bit as well because he says how Beverly reminded him of himself. Young Keen had the, had that spark, and he said it was like looking at himself ten years ago. I also like um, that when he he's, he's having the problems with the um, the car, obviously
1: because of what that kid did. Yeah. Um. And, and when when um Helen is in the car reading the magazine, and then you have that blue van that's dragging the wheelchair away. Yeah, the. Smash Wonder what happened there. to the guy. I Wonder what
0: happened to him. Yeah, he must have got a very sticky end. We don't actually see the wheelchair guy. We just see his wheelchair being, or invalid cars, Britta says, being being towed away. Yeah, yeah. I
1: also like the way that um, he says about um, she didn't actually say no. I'll call us tomorrow as if he thinks he can change her mind.
0: Yeah, that's Brit, that's British, isn't it? He doesn't read in between the lines with people because she didn't say no to his face. He thinks, so. she still might want a job after all this chaos. I think what disturbs me about this episode is the final shot of the... Because the man is still stuck at the bottom of the pool. And I just find it so disturbing because the pool's dark. It's lit, but it's quite dark. And you can just hear him going, rrr, rrr, struggling to breathe. And it's, it's a really dark final shot, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the idea of being buried alive, actually. Because it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. He- I just think what a terrible way to go you know just losing air can't be able to breathe at the bottom of it stuck at the bottom of the pool just awful by yourself is just a nightmare i think it's the bit it's just that shot
1: of hit the guy yeah, at the bottom yeah. of the pool and going away like
0: yeah and, and that's where you kind of see uh, there's a lot of it's quite it's probably the darkest episode of series one this uh, at least so far until we get to the sixth one and, it, and it's just kind of it's the macabre, isn't it? You've got the macabre of Gavin being shot, and it's not often you really see a lot of blood in sitcoms, especially at eight thirty. But you do see Gavin bleeding, and like with this scene, it's kind of it just shows that the British Empire—it's not just this cosy sitcom. It's—it's it's, it's no. much more than that, and it's actually quite dark, quite real, in a way, quite frightening. I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to go to Whitbury Leisure Centre. I would, but I'd be terrified for my life.
1: Well, as well, the um, I watched the episode with the subtitles, and then I could hear the guy saying.
0: Oh really? Oh. Yeah that's,
1: that's even more most- horrible.
0: Yeah. Do you know what? It's interesting. Sometimes when you do watch things with subtitles, I find you pick up films that I've seen a million times. When you watch them with subtitles, you think, I never knew they said that. I think it was Scream as well. Just, uh, I never knew they said that. It's interesting.
1: Yeah. Or you think Add you hear it's like misheard lyrics. You think they say something when it happens, something else.
0: Yeah. I, what, what was a song now that I thought was Belinda? Oh, did you know uh, this time, baby, I'll be bulletproof? I thought it was this time, baby, I'll be Belinda. That's what I. I
1: honestly thought it was. Did you? Wow! Yeah. Wow! I I I, I, been able to, I I'll, I'll probably hear it differently when I hear it work tomorrow.
0: <laughs> You'll never want to hear the word Belinda now. No, true, very true. <laughs> um, oh, that was fun. Thank you, yeah, Chris. That's, yeah. What's your final thoughts on the episode, John? I mean, I, I uh, personally love this episode.
1: Yeah, I think it's another really solid first series entry. I think this is the one that I think gets to the. I think explores the darker elements um you know the 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 unsavory client customers the situation with the guy in the pool um and and then bring the outsider looking in with through the beverly character i just think it's exploring that world really well and
0: and 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 learning a bit more about the backstory with helen and and what about you we talked about series ones about shows finding the feet and trying to kind of trying to work themselves out the actors are trying to work the characters out the writers are trying to work the actors and the characters out and i feel like yeah this is the show finding its feet in kind of the disasters and all that kind of stuff that happens in the center and how it all works really and yeah i think it's a it's a really solid episode We've also got a, as always a quiz. So if you've been watching and listening to us, you'll probably be very good at the British Empire quiz. If you've been listening to the previous episodes, you'll find that um of the podcast, you'll find we do five questions at the end of each episode. I uh, it just is questions based on this particular episode we've been chatting about. So I've got all these, I'll read them out as always, if you want to write on your phone or do it do it however you want. But yeah, there's five questions, the British quiz, and let's see how much you've picked up on on this episode. Mm. Make Gordon briss proud, please, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so question number one, we've got what's the name of the girl who's come for an interview? So quite an easy one. And two points if you get the surname as well. So yeah, what's the name of the girl who's who's come for an interview at Whitbury Leisure Centre? And the next one is what does Center Omnibus faculty Do so you know what that means? So yeah, what does centre omnibus facultas mean? Which is above the, the leisure centre doors as you walk in. But get the, we get the first, I think the only definition, maybe we get to hear it twice, I think, in the series of him mentioning what this actually means. Or I think it's actually in this episode, he mentions it twice, but then we don't actually get a definition of that after that. So it's quite an interesting one. And then question three is what year did Britus and Helen meet? It was a long, hot summer of beep. So, yeah, what year did Helen and Gordon Britta's first meet? Now, this one's a bit of a, a left field question. It's a bit, so I don't expect anybody to get this one, but we'll, we'll see. It's more of a guess, more of guesswork, this question, I think. How many coffee cups are on Helen and Pam's table the second time we go to the cafe? So yeah, this is going to be, I'll be very impressed if anyone gets this right, if, the, if you know it without guessing, but how many coffee cups are on Helen and Pam's table the second time we go to the cafeteria? Uh, last but not least, what speed is the man in the wheelchair doing? So Colin tells us what speed is going in the wheelchair after putting a matchstick in the, in the governor, wherever the governor is. And yeah, what speed is it going down the corridor? And there are your five questions, everyone. And... What do you think, John? Did you do okay on that one? I think
1: I did. I think I've got four at least. Uh, uh, one of them I, I really, really struggled with.
0: Yeah. 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 One was a very left field question. Um, I mean, the first uh, question was what's the name of the girl who comes for an interview? And um, what is she called, John? Um, I, her name's Beverly, but is it Beverly Addison? I thought it was Pearson, but it might be Addison. Yeah. It is Pearson. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's 17 year old Beverly Pearson, I think. Yeah. You want to yeah. work? You want to work here? So, yeah. <laughs> and what does Semper Omnibus Facultas mean, John? Oh, this is the one I struggle with. I can't.
1: I only something, something. Semper Omnibus Facultas. Do you know what that means?
0: Open to all. To all. Yes. That's it. <laughs> As he says in that condescending way outside to, to the people getting married. And um, what year did British and Helen meet? It was a long, hot summer of? 1983. Yeah, bang on, bang on. Now, this one is a very difficult one, and I wouldn't know this one if I weren't writing the questions, but uh, how many coffee cups on Helen and Pam's table the second time we go to the cafe? I think it was six. Close. Four. Four empty coffee cups, yeah. So not not a bad effort there. And um, what speed is the man in the wheelchair doing in the centre? 30 miles per hour. Yes, he is. Yeah, so pretty much smashed it. So yeah, well then everybody, if you've got 5 out of 5, you've got the coffee cup question very well done. You would have done eh, excellent. <laughs> uh, what's on the what's on the menu for next week? What we're we doing in Whitby Leisure Centre next week, John? So next week uh there is a thief amongst the staff. Oh gosh. And
1: Mr. Britis employs interesting methods to find out who the culprit is. At the same time, Simon, Uncle Simon, not Uncle Simon, the Simon who is Helen's other man finishes their relationship and she wants to go and continue her prescription of antidepressants, but only (laughs) on the condition that Mr. Brittus and the doctor meet thank you to everyone listening and as ever if you want to engage with more British Empire content and meet other fans there are uh, social media pages you can follow the British um, the British Empire Appreciation Society page on Facebook and the British Empire face- fan page on Instagram and Twitter and if you're enjoying revisiting the show on drama you can also buy the DVD box set and the first five series are also available on Britbox as well
0: Yeah so keep watching it keep watching it on Britbox keeping those numbers up are really important, you know, to keeping British in the memory and it it all just all maybe increases the chances one day of it being brought back for a new series. So thank you very much from me and Thank you from me. Good night everyone and don't get trapped at the vinyl pool.